Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. This is the best of the Joe Show, running back some of the best audio you've heard on this radio station over the past 24 hours. Hello, I am Dan Day on Twitter at Dan Day Radio. Follow me, follow me, follow me, follow me. And if you follow me throughout this show, in just a couple of minutes, you'll be hearing from the Joe Rose Show, talking to Manish Mehta about the cluster you-know-what that is, the New York Jets. That always feels good, especially down here in South Florida. Dan Levitard Show, going to give you your animal fix with Ron McGill, then Hawk and Crowder, minus Crowder, add Dono. I'm Batman. But right now, I'm Headlines Man. Despite the players' displeasure, MLB owners will enact the right to hold a 60-game season beginning around July 24th. Players will have to meet health safety protocols. Three Hurricanes have been named to the preseason All-ACC first team. On offense, it's Brevin Knight. While on defense, it's Greg Russo and Quincy Roche. Novak Djokovic has tested positive for coronavirus. He contracted the illness after playing in a tennis tournament in his home country of Serbia. Inter-Miami CF is expected to sign Argentine center back Leandro Gonzalez in preparation for the MLS Is Back tournament. Andre Drummond will pick up his player option and stay with Cleveland another year. The All-Star center is set to make almost $29 million next season. Ray Lewis was recently in Miami and says he's optimistic that the football program can make a turnaround and that hiring Ed Reed was a step in the right direction. And right now, let's step into the day spa. (sighs) A runaway 45-pound African tortoise was recently captured in a Chicago-area Walgreens parking lot. Hmm, runaway 45-pound turtle. Sure, it was really hard to wrangle that guy. An eight-year-old California boy has become the youngest bridge player to be awarded title of life master. So now at your local bridge table, an eight-year-old and 80-year-olds. Nonetheless, that kid is already smarter than I am. A list of the most kinky names have been released. Tops for the ladies, Jessica. For the fellas, Charlie. Dan did not make the top 10. Fail! A woman in Great Britain was furious to find that her grocery store delivered her a very weak wine as a substitute for the wine she had ordered. The store says that they were out of the ordered wine, so they did what they could. Ooh, don't mess with a woman and her wine. A man in Belgium has been sent prank pizzas for nine years running. Eh, not the worst prank. Now on the weather, tonight's forecast, cloudy with temperatures in the mid-80s. Wake up in the morning, get your Joe, Joe Rose Show. Joe Rose, Zach Krantz, 
Hollywood always bringing it to you. Morning style. Earlier, they caught up with Jets beat writer Manish Mehta talking about my guy, Jamal Adams. He went to LSU, both LSU graduates. Adam Gase blame game. Frank Gore's fit with the Jets and Jets fans, how they really feel towards Adam Gase. For the New York Daily News, he's joined us a couple times here to talk about the Jets. Manish Mehta going to join us right now. Jamal Adams, what's the chance he's going to be with this team by, uh, by the start of camp? What, what do you think takes place? Obviously, there's a pretty cavernous divide between the two sides right now. But, uh, you know, unless ownership uh, relaxes some of the cash flow restrictions that they've put on uh, their general manager, Joe Douglas, I don't see how a new deal for Jamal Adams with the Jets, at least, can happen uh, this offseason. So that being the case, you think Jamal Adams would sit out? What, what do you think he would do if that's the case, besides not be happy every day? Well, I, I think that Jamal Adams loves football too much to sit out a season. I, I don't think that he would go down the path that Le'Veon Bell did, for example. You know, that's just my best guess, being around Jamal for, for three-plus years. Uh, he obviously wouldn't be particularly pleased. It, unfortunate, that's probably the best way I can put it, that it's even gotten to this point, because as you guys know, covering the AFC East, Jamal Adams obviously is the far and away best player on the Jets. He has obviously exceeded his rookie contract at this point. So the notion that there's this divide and this mistrust between the player and the organization, there's probably enough fault to go around both sides. But I absolutely understand where the player is coming from because he's a superstar player. And, uh, you know, you have to make exceptions for superstar players when it comes to paying them perhaps a little earlier than you would other players. Manish, is this a uh, Adam Gase type of situation, a Joe Douglas situation? Like, is there someone to blame up uh, up top, or, or is it just a contract, that's it type of situation? Like, like who's, the, who's the blame here? That's a great question. It's a multi-layered answer. It obviously starts at the very top, because if you look at how the Jets handled their offseason beginning in free agency, they gave out a litany of one-year deals or de facto one-year deals for relatively uh, modest cost, and that is because ownership, the Johnson brothers, Woody Johnson, who's currently the UK ambassador for the Trump administration and his brother, Christopher Johnson, who's the acting owner while Woody is overseas, they put specific strict parameters on Joe Douglas. There's a difference between salary cap space and cash. The Jets had a lot of salary cap space, but Douglas didn't necessarily have uh, the green light to spend a lot of cash this offseason. So it obviously starts at the very top. Uh, That being said, I don't think uh, this Jamal Adams situation absolves Joe Douglas in any way, because if your bosses are telling you that they won't give you the money to pay uh, not only Adams, but the top tier free agents. If you're the general manager, it's incumbent upon you to have an open and free-flowing line of communication with players, especially your best player. And I think that's where Joe Douglas really fell short, uh, at least to this point. I, I don't think the communication has been uh, nearly as clear as it should have been with the player, because if you guys remember, Joe Douglas said publicly after the season that he wanted Jamal Adams to be a Jet for life, and he was going to discuss a contract extension with him and his people and uh, to be honest with you, the communication has been subpar, to say the least. they got to have unbelievable amount of offers, though. Teams got to be calling to get a guy 24 years old that you know is a proven safety in this league. They're getting a lot of phone calls. What do you think it would take for the Jets to give up on Jamal Adams? What, what kind of offer? I think half the league would probably want Jamal Adams. Uh, I don't necessarily pit him as a safety. You know, he's part safety, part linebacker, part edge rusher. Uh, he's just a playmaker, a guy who... who impacts the game in a number of different ways. As far as what an offer, what kind of offer it would take, 
I don't believe, first and foremost, that Joe Douglas has any desire to trade Jamal Adams. Uh, why would you? You you would probably right. be doing your organization a disservice if you traded away, like you said, you know, a, a homegrown 24-year-old dynamic all-pro player. But if things really got to the nuclear point and they're not there yet, if they did, I would be very surprised if Joe Douglas did not get at least a, a one and a high-quality player. It would probably take more than that, probably a one, uh, a three, and uh, a high-quality player, not a, a superstar necessarily, but maybe, you know, a guy who can absolutely contribute. But again, that's not something that Joe Douglas wants, to, that's not a path he wants to go down, but if things uh, become untenable at some point in the future, I think that would be the cost, because he's not going to give away Jamal Adams, you know, 50 cents on the dollar. There's not going to be a discount there. Uh, if he does trade Jamal Adams, it's going to be something uh, pretty substantial. Oh, I was just going to say, I know Adams was kind of on the trade block, or not trade block, I won't say that, but his name came up before the trade deadline last year, even before the draft last year as well. Uh, there has been intent by the organization to get rid of him, or are these just kind of rumors that popped up? There's a, some nuance there because the Jets' position was during the trade deadline last year, they only fielded calls. And Joe Douglas has said you know, he wouldn't be doing his job if he didn't right. uh, entertain all options. I understand that. However, uh, you're naive if you think that that's all that happened. It's not as if Joe Douglas got a phone call from the Dallas Cowboys, the Baltimore Ravens, and other teams and just sat there on the other line and listened <laughs> to offers. He engaged in trade discussions because he's open to trading Jamal Adams. He doesn't want to uh, dump him, and he's not on the quote-unquote the trading block. He's not quote-unquote shopping him. However, if the right deal comes along, he's absolutely amenable to trading him. So this notion that the Jets just fielded calls for Jamal Adams is uh, a half-truth. The reality is that they didn't make the first call. However, they absolutely went back and forth in discussing what it might take uh, to pry Jamal Adams away from the Jets. All right, I want to ask you uh, about another one that's uh, interesting. We have Frank Gore who lives down here. The Le'Veon Bell-Frank Gore thing just reminds me of Frank Gore being here when Kenyon Drake was here. Old school, plays hard, doesn't say a word, will take whatever you'll give him to motivate Le'Veon Bell. The first thing I thought when I saw it, I went, wow, this is going to be to get the most out of Le'Veon Bell, and there's no way Le'Veon Bell will pout or bitch with Frank Gore around. What was your take on the move? I did not think from a pure football perspective it made any sense at all. Because the Jets, if they need a compliment for Le'Veon Bell, they need a speed compliment. They need a home run hitter. Obviously, a 37-year-old Frank Gore doesn't fit that bill. Now, Gore is an incredible teammate. He's an incredible leader. Obviously, you guys know that. I think uh, San Francisco 49ers fans know that. Uh, Indianapolis Colts fans are aware of that. And even Buffalo Bills fans, uh, uh, even though that Gore was only there for a year, fully realized that he's a team-first guy. There's no doubt about that. He's got an insane work ethic. It's ridiculous the fact that he's survived 15-plus years years in the NFL at the running back position. It's clear evidence of that. However, I don't think it makes any sense that you need to bring in a guy to mentor a young player like LaMichael Pirine, who they drafted this year, or uh, another running back to motivate Le'Veon Bell. Le'Veon Bell was arguably the best all-around running back when he last took a snap for the Pittsburgh Steelers in 2017. He's an accomplished player in his own right. And I think you're right. Look, this, this move had Adam Gase's fingerprints all over it. He wants Frank Gore to be an important part of his offense. He's not going to carry the load, but just look at 
Frank Gore's stats, at least 125 carries per season for 15 consecutive seasons. In 14 of those 15 years, he had at least 150 carries. So he's going to play. He's not going to be a cheerleader on the sideline and, you know, pat Le'Veon Bell on the back. He's going to cut into Le'Veon Bell's touches, and that's by design because, as we've discussed before, Frank Gore, uh, Adam Gates did not want Le'Veon Bell to begin with. So uh, this is a style of offense that Gates wants to play. The example that you brought up, the Drake... Frank Gore dynamic a couple years ago, I think is apropos. That's perfect because, as you guys are fully aware, the prior season, at the end of that prior season, Drake was playing exceptionally well and then ultimately ended up, uh, you know, kind of sharing the load with Frank Gore. So I don't think it'll be a 50 50 split with Le'Veon Bell and Frank Gore, but Gore's absolutely going to be a part of this offense, and that's because that's the way Adam Gase wants it. How are you doing with Adam Gase? Because he's, he's a different kind of guy. We, we saw it down here. How is he to cover for you? <laughs> Uh, he's an unusual person. Uh, that's probably the the most succinct way that I can put it. What I have learned over the past year and a half is that there are some leadership deficiencies that have not been corrected. Uh, perhaps I took that lightly. Uh, when he was hired, I liked the hire because I thought that he had good ideas. And I still think that he has good ideas. His head is filled with good ideas. But being a good, successful head coach is more than having good ideas in your head. It's about applying the right ideas to your offense. It's applying the skill sets of the players that you have. Instead of whining about uh, what the players don't do, you should accentuate what they do do uh, well. He's not good at that. Uh, he's not good at that to this point. I, I always hate saying a, a person can't evolve and grow. I felt like I said that a year ago as well, but there are some clear deficiencies with Adam Gates from a leadership standpoint. There's a reason why there's angst among many players uh, when it comes to his leadership style, and, and I, I don't know if he's going to change. Uh, you know, I think, again, he was emboldened by the fact that the Jets hired him a week or so after the Dolphins hi- uh, fired him. He didn't get an opportunity to, uh, you know, humble himself, so to speak, by being a coordinator or quarterback's coach for a year. He just jumped right into a, another head coaching position and another head coaching position, by the way, in the exact same division. So uh, I don't believe that he thinks that he did many things incorrectly in Miami. I don't think it was, he believes it was his fault that he got fired in Miami. And because of those reasons, I don't think he has changed that much. And because of that, I'm not sure the Jets can ever be successful with him as a head coach uh, you know, unless he radically changes. And at this point, I don't see ev- any evidence that he's going to do that. Manish, what's the pulse of the Jet fan on Adam Gase? I know that you hear a lot, whether it's on Twitter or people writing you emails. What's the pulse on the actual Jet fan on Adam Gase's tenure so far and how, and how, much, how long it'll last? Yeah, he has a very low Q rating. I think his Q rating probably hovers. Well, you know, I'm not going to say anything. Uh, uh, he is not very popular uh, among the fan base. There, you know, what are you going to say guys. about the president? What are you going to say about the president? <laughs> I didn't say Go that. You did. you did. You said that. Uh, but what I will say is that there was, you know, there was a reason why midway through Adam Gase's first season, you know, there was a plane flying over the Hudson River asking for him to be fired. He is not someone who has endeared himself to the fan base. He has said privately that he does not care about the fan base. Uh, He feels emboldened because he got that second contract. And I'm not just saying that because it seems like that's what happened. I'm saying that because he has told people that he is going to do things his way because he got the second contract. That second contract from a different team has really fortified him internally. Uh, He believes that his way is the right way. And look, there's a a number of different statistics that point out who Adam Gates is as a football man. I thought the most eye-opening stat 
is that Adam Gase has been affiliated with 17 teams in his professional life, and 13 of those 17 teams have been losers. He has only been a winner when Peyton Manning has been his quarterback. Oh, I should say, I'm sorry, he's been a, I think he's been part of a losing team in the 12 of 13 years that Peyton Manning has not been on his side. So in essence, without Peyton Manning, he is a career loser. And even with Peyton Manning, he's been a winner a very small amount of time. And that to me is eye-opening because a lot of that is not on him because, look, if you're an assistant coach or a position coach, you're not going to put all the blame on being a part of a losing team on that guy. But what that shows is that he has been around a culture of losing for the better part of his NFL life. That is undeniable. When you look at the teams that he has been associated with, very few of them have been winners. And all but one of those teams has had Peyton Manning on it. Manish, I always wonder, so have you been able to, to go in and Adam knows, like, he knows you hammer him pretty good. He knows you're pretty honest about things. So so do you guys ever, like, all right, come on in, let's talk about this. Have you had those one-on-one? Have you had a little one-on-one with him? Wow, that's a good question. Uh, have I had <laughs> one-on-ones with Adam Gase? Yes. Have they occurred recently? No. Uh, look, I, I try to report what's happening uh, I don't make Adam Gase do the things that Adam Gase does. Those are his decisions. It's just my job to chronicle what he's doing. And I happen to find out a lot of things that he does behind the scenes, which doesn't make him particularly happy, but it's not my job to make him happy. It's my job to give an accurate portrayal of who he is as a head coach, who he is as a leader. And if he were a good head coach, if he were a good leader who inspired and galvanized people in that building, I would absolutely report that. But that's not the case. So I can't control his actions. Only he can go down the path that he wants to go down. It's my job to reveal what that path is. You know, Manish, that, that whole burner account thing, that was unbelievable. Like, oh, yeah. It, I know you never want to be in the spotlight like that. What was that like going through that whole thing? Well, the funny thing about that, and maybe funny is not the right word, but the interesting thing about that is that I had actually reported maybe a week or so earlier that there were people in the building that believed that he is so thin-skinned and so sensitive that he had an account to monitor, you know, what was being said about him and to, uh, I guess, protect his own interests anonymously. And then it came out that maybe he had one, maybe he didn't have one. Uh, I have a, a pretty good indication of who uh, was uh, behind that, but, you know, that was six months ago. Uh, the bottom no, it's line a, it's is... It's an old story. I think we, right. we all yeah. know who you're thinking. You know, I don't think you... You don't have to. Yeah, the, bo- the bottom line is that he's a very sensitive person. He's got rabbit ears. Uh, that That's obvious regardless of what he says publicly. You know, he, he's just not a winner. He has not proven to be a winning coach. He has proven to be a loser. And I know that sounds callous and, and maybe that's just blunt, but that's reality. That's truth. He is a loser from a coaching standpoint. The numbers are undeniable. Uh, guys, he was... The, the engineer of the 32nd ranked offense last year. Do, I mean, is there anything more that needs to be said? The last time I looked, there were 32 teams in the NFL. He had the worst offense in the National Football League. And when you look at a, a number of different metrics, uh, at the very best, you could say he was bottom five. But he was part of you know that group of teams that were, that were essentially circling the drain. And that's on him. He was hired to lift the offense. He was hired to make Sam Darnold into a star, or to at least help him along that path. Christopher Johnson, upon hiring him, said that Adam Gase was coaching football to where it's going. You know, he essentially called him a guru. And I don't know what Christopher Johnson was thinking. Uh, again, I, 
agree with the notion that Adam Gase has good ideas in his head, but there's so much more to the equation than just having good ideas that you can put down on paper, on a, on a grease board. You, you know, you have to apply those ideas at the right times to the talent around you. He is very inflexible. That, that's the one thing I've absolutely learned. Uh, you know, he, he has said repeatedly that his plan is in pencil. That's a bunch of BS. That's a bunch of talking points, things that people maybe want to hear, because you cannot say that your plan is in pencil and then be as rigid as he was, specifically with his best offensive player last year, Le'Veon Bell. He deployed Le'Veon Bell in the worst possible manner. It's not a coincidence that Bell had the worst year of his career last year with Adam Gase. It's because this head coach was not fully invested in this player and had no clue how to use one of the most talented uh, dual backs in the NFL. Well, Manish, let's just hope we have some football so we can keep talking about our our coaches and our teams and stuff, man. We really appreciate you coming on this morning. Thank you so much. Thanks, guys. I appreciate you. Take care. Happy trails to Adam Gase. I kind of compare him to Les Miles at LSU. You know I'm an LSU graduate. Les Miles at least won. Adam Gase didn't really win here, but we knew Gase wasn't really good. And at LSU, we knew Les Miles wasn't living up to the program's potential. So, goodbye. Guess what happens? Les Miles leaves, Coach O comes in, legendary national championship this past year. Praying Coach Flores is coming in. He's starting to change that culture. Super Bowl champion soon with Tua Tengavaloa. That's secondary. Let's let Dan Lebitard talk to you for a second while I gather myself. Uh, I'm a bigger guy. I'm about 6'4", 220. Is there a bird in the world today that could swoop down, pick me up, and fly me off somewhere? Bird, 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 birds, the word with Zoo Miami's Ron McGill next on the Best of the Joe Show. Welcome back to the Best of the Joe Show, running back some of the best audio you've heard on this radio station over the past 24 hours. I'm Dan Dan. We're listening to some Duffy because it is the British R&B star's birthday. Always love me some Duffy. Got me crying mercy. That's old school and new school sounding at the same time. Happy birthday, Duffy. Ron McGill got me saying mercy. Talking about big tortoise problems. Dogs can detect anything. Rats and other nasty delicacies with Dan Lebitard and the guys. There was a 65-pound tortoise found walking around in Virginia. Uh, just nobody knows why it's there or what's what's happening there, Ron McGill. Why is there a 65-pound tortoise in Virginia? Uh, well, probably somebody had it as a pet. It got away. My best guess is probably going to be a, an African spur-side tortoise because they can get to that size. They were highly imported for many years within the last 20 years. People import them as, uh, you know, hatchlings, where they're the size of maybe a tennis ball, and then they grow to be the size of, you know, uh, a 65 to, they can get well over 100 pounds, as a matter of fact, and they can live, you know, close to 100 years. So people get these things as small little novelty items. They keep on growing, they keep on living, and then all of a sudden, people don't know what to do with them, and they're escape artists. They can dig out of anything. So my guess is that's what it did. The unfortunate thing is, in Virginia, as soon as winter comes, 
if that thing doesn't get some heat, it's going to die. Uh, so it can't be there past. Uh, it has to be very recent. You're saying somebody l- released yeah, it. Has it- to be recent. That animal had to be released or had to have adapted in such a way where it could have found an, uh, an underground, uh, you know, burrow that it can get into and survive a harsh winter by kind of incubating itself in a, an underground burrow or in some some uh, water source that keeps the temperature down low. That's not out of the question, but it's unlikely. How about the idea that there was this tortoise that saved the species and now Diego is living on an uninhabited island on Ecuador in retirement? Do you know this story, the backstory? Uh, of- absolutely, absolutely. The Galapagos tortoise, Diego, is one of the famous tortoises from Hispaniola. He was the last of the, 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 the breed, and he was able to produce hundreds of babies. He was the last male, and he produced hundreds of babies that have now grown up and have been released onto the island. And you know what they're saying? Listen, guy, you have done your job. You have bred the kajibers out of these females. You've produced offspring that are now the future of the species. Go live in retirement, because I think as every male gets really a lot older, all of a sudden, you know, the female's not the first thing on their mind. How heroic is uh, Diego? And uh, give me... He's, he's a god. He's a god amongst tortoises. Diego is was not only called to service, he serviced all those females, <laughs> not just adequately, but fantastically, yeah. produced all these offspring, and he is, listen, they should, ha- they should, have, they should have an icon of Diego uh, for all the is- Hispaniola tortoises now of the Galapagos, need to look back and say, he is, he-, he is our father, he is the father of this subspecies. A statue. They should put a statue up. Uh, I, for... I, you know what? You, you say that facetiously. I I think they should. I think they should put a statue, a bronze statue, life size of that guy. He's probably about four hundred four hundred plus pounds, and people should, people should go by, you know, and just rub his shell when they go by a bronze statue, and go by and rub his shell because that is a success story in every sense of the word. Is there any other animal in the history of the animal kingdom, according to Ron McGill, as heroic as Diego? And I can't think of one off the top of my head. Mm. You know, there are animals that have made contributions. Even in death, for instance, the northern white rhino, the last northern white rhino died not too long ago. In history, the last northern white rhino died, but before he died, he made a great semen uh, donation that has been frozen, and in that, that tube rests the future of the species. So depending on what they can develop in embryo transplants using the semen from that last rhino that posthumously, posthumously now, is going to save the species, that would also make him a hero. Uh, in terms of heroic animals, what about the dolphin that saved Elion? <laughs> Ryan, you're on with Ron McGill of Zoo it? Miami. <laughs> Go ahead, Ryan. <laughs> I wanted to ask about uh, I have a group of pigeons that hangs out in my backyard, but one of them is like pure white. And uh, my theory is that it's just like a regular pigeon that's white. But my girlfriend has the theory that it's an escaped magician's pigeon. Who's uh, more likely to be right? You're most likely to be right. It's uh, what's called leucistic. That is a genetic mutation that is found in all animals. That is basically, it's not an albino because the eyes are dark. They have pigment in the eyes, but the feathers are all white. It's a, it's a, it's a genetic mutation called leucist, being leucistic, and it occurs in all animals. It's very rare, but more so common in things like pigeons that have been bred for that for many years. So it's very likely that that was just a genetic mutation. Uh, found this flock of pigeons, hangs out together. It's not unheard of. It's not impossible. It could be a, a magician or somebody else's pigeon that escaped, but it's very most likely just to be a, a genetic mutation. Roy, what do you have for Ron McGill? As we know, dogs have an advanced sense of smell, and I've read an article that dogs are now being trained to uh, find COVID-19 in patients. How is that possible? 
Uh, you know, I don't, I don't know how that's possible, Roy, because I certainly don't have that sense of smell, but, but they've been proven to find, to be able to detect cancer in people. Dogs can detect cancer in people. Dogs can detect if someone's pregnant. Dogs can detect these things that normally would take some type of biological test, but yet do- dogs have this incredible sense uh, to be able to detect that. It's like a bloodhound, you know, that can track a, a scent for miles through a forest after a rainstorm. It's just, these are the amazing things about animals that we just don't understand. In many ways, we don't appreciate, but I believe that that it is possible that a dog can detect that. And think about it. Instead of putting a swab up your nose, which I had done, it looks like it was going to go into my brain, just have a dog come up, pet the dog, let the dog smell you, and the, and the answer's there. Yes. How great would that yes, be? Yes, that would be much better. That's right. Greg Cody, what do you have for Ron McGill of Zoo Miami? Ron, I was interested to read that uh, in the ancient Tang Dynasty in China, rats were referred to as household deer, and they were uh, cooked and eaten as a delicacy, and that around the world, even today, rats are considered a delicacy. Um, Have you uh, ever eaten a rat, and would you? And if not, what's the weirdest thing that you've eaten on your travels? Okay. Uh, first of all, you know, I'm always impressed by how well-read you are, Greg, much much more so than me. Uh, having said that, I have eaten a rat, but not the common rat that you guys are thinking about. I've eaten the world's largest rat, which is called a capybara, uh, which in Central and South America is actually cooked as a delicacy. I ate it when I was visiting an indigenous tribe, and that was part of their meal. And quite frankly, it wasn't that bad. Um, but it is the world's largest rodent. Um, rodents of all types are eaten by many different cultures, ranging from squirrels, uh, you know, to, to little rats, to mice, to, to of course, capybaras, and things like um, uh, goodies and things like that. These are, these are actually very main staple parts of diets for many cultures throughout uh, uh, tropical America. Uh, so I have eaten them. I have eaten a capybara. It was not, you know, it wasn't Willard or Ben or whatever those rats were from the movies, but there was, a, a, you know, technically a rat. Not the strangest thing you've eaten, though. No, no, not the strangest. The strangest thing I've ever eaten was, I don't know if it's the strangest or just the grossest, was this big, huge, for, for lack of a better term, it was a maggot. It's just like a huge white worm, a grub that's found in a bamboo thing that's basically, I guess, the larval stage of this type of beetle. And uh, these folks in, in, uh, in uh, the Amazon, they considered it a delicacy. And again, it was in one of these things where I was invited to join this uh, tribe of, uh, of people, and they offered me this as a, you know, kind of a welcoming thing and not to be rude i ate it but it, it was the grossest weirdest thing i've ever eaten in my life and it what was alive food? you have to eat it alive you, they don't cook it or anything you just put it in your mouth and you eat it while it's still wiggling what food were you most surprised at being delicious on your travels what food was i most surprised at being delicious you know in um in uganda they take the locusts these they're like huge grasshoppers and they kind of like they season them and, and dry them and fry them, and they do it in such a way that, you know, it was actually like a really kind of good pop. So I, I tried that, you know, apprehensively at first, but when I, when I finally bit into it, you know, it wasn't bad. It was, it was like a good seasoned kind of a Cracker Jack, but exotic. Liz, you're on with Ron McGill of Zoo Miami. Hi, we're always saying that I'd love to be a fly on the wall in that room, and I'm wondering, do flies have ears? You know, they don't have ears as we know them, external ears as we know them, but their their feet, the sensory hairs on their feet and their body are so sensitive to any vibration, they hear in a much different way. It's through the vibrations, but it's so much more sensitive than, 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 than we are able to do that their, their form of hearing is probably even more effective than ours. Tony, did you have something for Ron McGill? I do. Ron, uh, I'm a bigger guy. I'm about 6'4", 220. Is there a bird in the world today that could swoop down, pick me up, and fly me off somewhere? No. What's the biggest human a bird could take? 
probably be a harpy eagle could probably take maybe a 10 to 15 pound max oh my god so a toddler a bird you wow (laughs) so a toddler you're telling me that a toddler's not 10 or 15 pounds dan that's like a newborn okay you know maybe a couple days after a newborn i mean it's not going to be a walking kid that a bird's going to swoop down and get it's going to be a baby that can't walk it's that's a gruesome thought but it could take mike ryan's baby i know 15 pounds stop it (laughs) it's 10 to 15 pounds max probably closer to 10 pounds but that's let's let's change the subject because now you're getting into the very sensitive situation (laughs) see you later ron Ron McGill, not happy about the birds, taking young ones off. So we're just going to move on. Hawk, Crowder, Dono, however you want to look at it. I just love Batman. I already hate this conversation. We're getting into Batman next on the Best of the Joe Show. Big dreams, big dreams, rose on his own, but he's got big dreams. This is the Best of the Joe Show, running back some of the best audio you've heard on this radio station over the past 24 hours. I am Dan Day, and I am loving this music from an artist by the name of Bakar. This is Big Dreams. Always loving some Hawk and Crowder, even when Crowder's not there, because my man Alex Dono in the house. They're talking WNBA, and I'm Batman. Hockman and Crowder, but Crowder enjoying some of that paternity leave, getting to know his uh, new son, Chaz, a couple weeks old now. And so Alex Dono, our friend, sitting in for Crowder today, next couple of days on the program. Hello, Dono. Hello, Hawk. Hello, Solana. Very happy to be back. Everybody's uh, excited for a little Tuesday program. It is such fortuitous timing that Alex Dono is on the show because there's a lot of Batman news. And I know uh, Dono... Now, are you are you a Batman fan in particular? I know you're a Michael Keaton fan, the original Batman back from my day and yours as well. But are you like a are you a superhero guy? I I, I'm, I sometimes get confused. No, I'm a huge Batman guy, specifically, right? And, and to the point, like I'm such a Batman nerd that I've been really annoyed that like the last ten years it's been all this Marvel comic nonsense. Everyone loves the Avengers and Iron Man. Like I, I am so firmly on Team Batman that I get competitive with my superheroes. Really? Like, I, I am a Batman fanboy. Like I like I, I my wife dragged me to all the Marvel movies, but like I I don't promote the Marvel stuff like out of protest because i love really so much you're a dc comics guy not even that much of a dc comics guy because i kind of think superman's a little bit stupid because he's too powerful stupid Uh, man yeah and and like the 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 flash is okay but i I never thought his comics were that great growing up there's really not a whole lot that i like about dc other than batman i just love batman i already hate this conversation because i don't really (laughs) i'm not into superheroes but this is better than the conversation you and Solana were having off the air about Seria A and how do you pronounce Stahl? You, you pronounce Seria A very well. I like that. I know. That's one of my uh it's one of my curses. I can't pronounce something <laughs> incorrectly. Anywho, Alex Dono is with us. So we're the first piece of pressing news though is WNBA news. Now, I don't know if you have followed the saga, Dono, of what went on with me and Coach Katie Meyer last week. Last week, last 
it was last Monday, right? What day is today? Tuesday. Yeah, today's Tuesday. So it was it was a week uh, before yesterday, so last Monday. Solana had this news headline about WNBA has, you know, reached an agreement with the Players Association. They're going to kick off their league, I guess, when was it? End of July also, uh, Solana? Yeah. Yes. Yes, and it's up in, uh, it's up in where, Bradenton or somewhere? I can't Bradenton even remember. Bradenton at the IMG Academy, yes. Right, so, and then just kind of flippantly, you know, I, I said great news, and Crowder said something along the lines of, oh yeah, how many WNBA games have you watched in your life? And I again flippantly just said, oh, none, but I'll bet on them, something like that. And immediately uh, there was a tweet from Coach Katie Meyer, who was listening, saying, I can't believe Mark Hockman's never seen a WNBA game. And so I backpedaled, as I uh, am wont to do. I tried to make it sound like I really had watched a lot of WNBA. And so we had Coach Katie Meyer on with us on Friday, me and Crowder. And I pretty much, you know, we talked about the WNBA, and I told her, my right hand to God, Dono, I am embracing the league, I'm excited, and I told Coach Katie, she gets to choose what team I become a super fan of. Okay, I like and, that. Uh, and right, and so my intention had been the LA Sparks, because they had just drafted Beatrice Mompremier from UM, who was a star here. But they drafted her in the first round, and then waived her Ooh. a few weeks later, and so Coach Meyer was explaining to us why with COVID, and they, there was you know, it was just salary cap ramifications. But Coach Katie said, when Beatrice signs somewhere, and she will, I will let you know, and that's the team you're going to root for. Well, it was announced today that the Connecticut Sun have signed Beatrice Mom Premier, and I am now a huge fan of the Connecticut Sun, which, by the way, is exciting for me because, you know, I like gambling, and they're owned by the Mohegan Sun oh, in wow. Connecticut, which is perfect. Is, but I mean, um, How is that not your team from the beginning? Like, if, well, if I wanted it to be if you had I, known that no i i wanted it to be the las vegas aces i and i told coach that i had told coach is there any chance the las vegas aces grab her but she went to the mohegan sun and so i'm uh or connecticut sun and i'm i'm super excited and coach katie uh tweeted at me today and i tweeted back at her my order from the online store the wnba online store i've got my connecticut sun gear on the way i am a big beatrice mom premier fan i am a big connecticut sun fan now and I am ready to rock and roll. So there you go. We've got our WNBA news, my team. Are you going to adopt the team with me, Solana? You have any interest? Trocek was tripped. Does that mean you have no interest? <laughs> what does that even have, have to do with this? I'm sorry. We, uh, I, uh... we had a conversation once, Crowder and I, about a, uh, a Miami Heat team. I forget which team like which series we were talking about, playoff series and he wasn't paying attention to us solana and but he's our heat guy on the show and so right. i go to him and i go i go what is what did what do you remember most about that series and he answered with well vinny trocek got tripped and oh they didn't call God. it and it was i mean we were literally talking about a heat series <laughs> he didn't even know what sport you were talking <laughs> didn't even about. know what sport so i'm Jesus. guessing you didn't hear what i just had to say there for the first 10 minutes of the show no idea no well, i heard you i just didn't hear your question you broke up a bit all right let's get headlines here from our pal the non-listening alejandro solana 
<laughs> was your question if I have a WNBA team? Was that what you? Were I wanted to know if you wanted to adopt the Connecticut Sun, like oh. I have. I don't know if you saw my Twitter exchange with Coach Katie Meyer today, but I'm not going to rehash it because I just opened the show with all this. Well, I can't. Unfortunately, I already have a WNBA team, the Chicago Sky. That's been my team for years. So, unfortunately, right. Hawk, I'm not jumping on the Connecticut Sun bandwagon. No, that's fine. Me and Beatrice Mom Premier don't need you, first of all, and secondly, <laughs> if you're going to be a professional broadcaster i've told you this before you can't say w nba team it's w well maybe if you're a professional broadcaster in like alabama or something you can get away with that if you're in in tennessee w W nba one of the first things you should learn as a professional broadcaster is it is w nba that's only there is only one way to pronounce the letter w it is a w w don't you hear him dono though he's saying w and it just it's confusing sometimes you're doing Falero's bit. You're, 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 you, did you just listen to Falero's bit? Do you have that? There's a bit. There's a bit. All right. Play. How long is this, Solana? Do you have it by yeah, any chance? It's, it's like it's like a minute long, I think. I went through this before where I tried to get these guys when <laughs> Falero was the uh, producer to pronounce W correctly. That's one of my pet peeves. It's one of the first things I learned when I went to University of Miami. It was probably Mitch Shapiro, who I'm sure you had when you were at UM, Dono. Yes. Um, yeah, I did. But it, it was like, I think, I, I think, and I know there's that famous private part scene with Howard Stern where it's, you know, W-A-N-B-C, but that's not what I'm talking about. <laughs> I'm literally talking about just pronouncing the letter W correctly for any broadcaster starting out. It's the name of your company, right? If you are east of the Mississippi, are you aware of this too, Solana? If you're east of the Mississippi, all the station names begin with W, yes. and if you're west of the Mississippi, K. they begin with? Okay. Very good. All right. So if you're east of the Mississippi and you're going to work in broadcasting, the first order of business is to be able to pronounce your business's name correctly. I swear this is a lecture I got from Mitch Shapiro in a lecture hall on the Coral Gables campus where he was like, if you were working for IBM, you wouldn't say, I'm really excited to be working here at EBM. You'd pronounce the name correctly. It's W. W, you know, whatever. What what are we? W-A-X-Y. Waxy, right? W-A-X-Y. The league is the WNBA. Here's a little back and forth I had with uh, Falero and Crowder when uh, when we were doing the show a few years ago. Professional radio broadcasters like to say WQAM. This is the honest to God truth, and I, I can I can recognize someone who doesn't take radio seriously the moment I hear them say W WQAM. It's not what the word. What are you supposed to say? W. You got to say it long and lame. It's the it's the. You have to be W. I didn't say W. <laughs> you kind of say like. No, I, I did not say W. WQAM. WQAM. Very easy. To, very easy to say the word. The, the letter W. 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 No, it's not W. <laughs> I can't hold the dub. W. It's not W. But no, because that's that's regional. That's you just sound like you don't know. dance anymore. You make money moves. <laughs> that, but it's regional. <laughs> People speak different in different parts You're of the country. You're a broadcaster. Call it W. WQAM. WKIS. WPOW. WQAM. Yeah, that was good. Good. WQAM. Money you moves. Like w. I know I'm saying W. I make money moves. <laughs> 
One of the greatest little characteristics of Falero was just to come in like a sniper. Such but a you're saying ass. W. Yeah, he was just w. a total smartass. But you can see that's something that that I've stuck with that stuck with me for my entire career. You got to say W yeah. correctly. So, uh, so again, my greater point, Solana, is we don't need you with the Connecticut Sun. I'm good uh, rooting for them without you, and you do whatever you want to do on your Dubba NBA team. That's fine. I'll uh, continue to admire Courtney Vandersloot and the Chicago. Sky and you do you, man. Right. And we'll meet. Right. In the we finals. can all look up the rosters online. Okay, Courtney. Okay. All right. Got to agree with Hawk on that one. Get your WNBA team lined up. I am Dan Day, and that's going to do it for the best of the Joe Show on WQAM. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.